greetings and welcome to the Mount Rushmore Podcast. I'm Jeff, and guess who's here with me in the insane asylum? It's Richard. Boogity boogity boogity. <laughs> and Michael. Howdy. <laughs> I guess we're we're the sane oh. asylum. Um, and these uh, gents are getting uh, together with me via a, a remote uh, video conferencing application to record our latest podcast, and that is the Mount Rushmore of non-dominant singers <laughs> songs performed by the non-dominant singer this was my joint but honestly this is one that i thought i know richard and michael love music and i know they're very knowledgeable and i think they might um get into this topic of the person who's not the normal singer in the group doing the song no and, no no um, no let's let's sorry let's change right. normal is very weighted dominant non dominant because non-dominant um, i okay. definitely have choices of someone that oh, is okay. a normal singer in the band but not the dominant <laughs> this, one and uh, i was pulling my hair out all my beard hair out all my eyebrow hair armpit and not hair, necessarily the submissive not the submissive <laughs> singer um <laughs> that's right. okay well that's right. let's let's just well okay well you've been before you pull any more hair out let's okay. uh, go ahead and start with your first choice michael Okay, my first choice, and this is the first one that I thought of um, when this came through, was um, uh, Benjamin Orr singing Drive okay. for the Cars. Oh, cool. And the Cars okay. have a ton of very popular songs. And um, I think with he, they're mostly identified with Rick Ocasek because he was like the main singer-songwriter. Yeah. But then I started doing the math. And Benjamin Orr sang about 36% of the songs, and Rick Ocasek did about 64. That's a pretty, for someone who, like, who didn't even know this guy's name before I started looking it up, um, mm -hmm. that is pretty evenly split amongst, like, the person that we most identify with the cars and with, um, you know, uh, dating Paulina Portskova and, and uh... the other guy. And so, he had, and he had the majority of the hits. Well, what I what I read about, and that's the thing, is like exactly. what I read. I, I love the song "Drive." It's kind of this weird, foreboding, mm -hmm. um, kind of sad, kind of I don't know, a little bit ominous sort of song, kind of romantic too, in a weird, strange way. Um, I never really paid attention, like growing up. I if I didn't. Like I just figured, oh, Rick Ocasek just sung differently for yeah, this part. That's <laughs> for, what for I thought. These, for like these these songs, like this and um, moving in stereo. Like I figured, like okay, well, Rick Ocasek sings just he sings like a weirdo in some parts, and then he sings regular. And it's like, no, this other guy, um, basically, Rick Ocasek said, um, when I need someone to sing well. Uh, Benjamin Orr would come in and like sing the really beautiful, really melodic stuff, and it's like I did all the others. I did all the other stuff, but um, you know, I think uh, the split is interesting in terms of how much uh, this one guy sang from them, and the split of like the seemingly perceived credit of what um, of how uh, I or maybe probably a lot of people perceive like oh. Uh, that's a Rick Ocasek band and the Rick Ocasek fronted and the Rick Ocasek written. It's like, oh yeah, and the other one. But he sang a third mm -hmm. of their songs and that's wild. Yeah. Yeah, and I said some of the big hits too, like Just What I Needed, mm -hmm. Let's Go. You mentioned Moving in Stereo. Was that him as well? Yep. Yeah, I mean, those are 
if you were to ask 50, 100 people their favorite Cars song, I would say that probably more than half would choose a Benjamin Orr song. Yeah, which yeah, is wild. I think Did also the, uh, the the music video. Sorry, the music video is confusing too because like it starts out with like Benjamin Orr singing in like this empty room and it's black and white, but the rest of the video is all about like Paulina Portscope and Rico yeah. Basic. So it's like it, conceptually, okay, you see the guy singing, but like the rest of the song is like, oh, that's just Rico Kasich and his mm-hmm. um, supermodel girlfriend. Well, when you got a face like Rico Kasich, obviously you want to get him front and center of the music video. <laughs> this, uh, uh, when Okasik was passing, they, we, that's when I think we learned that he had been estranged from his wife for years, but she dutifully came to his side at the end of, <laughs> the, end of the, in his last few hours, um, just probably to make sure paperwork is in order, but, uh, th- that, uh, <laughs> yeah, that was a confusing aspect of that video. Did, now, did you think Okasik sang the dorky songs, kind of like the ones? Because I know he he in some oh, of for sure. cars, yeah. in some of the cars music, I, there was obviously a new wave. Was this something that seemed fresh and innovative and untethered from precedent? But Okasik did a lot of Buddy Holly goofball ripoffs. Mm. It seems like not ripoffs, but homages. Um, and it seems like those were kind of things. That he yeah, did. Shake It Up was one of his that is kind of yeah. feels kind of in part with uh, mm-hmm. Buddy Holly or so. Yeah. 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 Okay, uh, we're off to a good start. Now, I don't think we need to do this, but um, I always, when well, I have a mental model for bands mm. that have first. Paulina Poritzkova. Um, <laughs> she's, she's my mental my, the model in my mental mind. Um, but you know, no, I'm not gonna. I'm, that might be a giveaway for for. Um, other, I'm trying to think of other bands that have this that same percentage, and maybe we can talk about that later. So, w- Richard Manfredi, what's your first? All right, my first one is an, a song by a uh, a singer who is fourth on the depth chart in his own oh, band wow. in terms of being a singer, but number one in our hearts. I'm oh. of course talking about Ringo Starr. Okay, yeah, and a Yellow Submarine by the Beatles. Also on my list. Oh, right on. Well, how could it not be? Such a, <laughs> just a, a delightful song for kids ages 2 to 100. Yeah. Um, Take that, you know, one-year-old jerks. Yeah, you, you know, you guys, your musical taste sucks. No, uh, Yellow Submarine is... I Ringo basically got one song and album, where in the early years it would be something John and Paul would write for him. As they got a little further along, he started writing his own songs. I could have gone with my personal favorite Ringo Beatles song, which is Don't Pass Me By, mm. which is just a mm-hmm. the first song that he wrote solo, mm. which is just a bonkers song. Yeah. It's talking about getting in a car crash and like the, the rhythm <laughs> is all herky-jerky and there's this weird like fiddle solo in the middle yeah. of it. It kind of sounds like it's eight, almost out of tune. Yeah. Like a bazooki or some kind of Russian in folk instrument or something, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it sounds it sounds like a, a balaclava just got knocked yeah. down the stairs or something uh-huh. like that. Um, but I had to go with that. Maybe it's the obvious one, but everyone knows Yellow Submarine. It's such a charming song, and I can't, you know, even though it was primarily a Paul song, mm-hmm. I can't picture anyone else in the Beatles other than Ringo being able to pull off this song. Yeah. There's just something about his charming nature 
And now, is Ringo the best singer of all time? Absolutely not. But there's something about his presentation and his performance that's just so warm. And he's the freaking conductor from Thomas the Tank Engine. You know, you, you want to believe him when he's singing about, you know, his life in this yellow submarine. It's I just think a perfect a perfect connection of song and and singer. I think there is a goofy warbliness with his voice that you know he's with the Beatles. You know he sounds a, a part of them, but he doesn't sound polished. He's obviously the goofballiest of them all, or at least I don't know his yeah. the way he's always come across. I do like that one of his the follow-up songs that he sung was like Octopus's Garden. It's just like they kept the undersea, um, you know, uh, kind of imagery <laughs> going. It's like, working, yeah. it's like, we got another one under the sea. You want to do it, Ringo? And he's like, okay, whatever. Uh-huh. He's, got, he's got a starfish in <laughs> as well. I don't know. But <laughs> whatever. Is this a dolphin? Do you have a dolphin song? I can do dolphin noises if you'd like. But um, That was a fun part of Get Back is seeing him kind of write that. And they're kind of oh. like, kind of like, yeah, Ringo, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but I, I think it's it is one of their you know it's not their best songs but it's one of the most iconic songs I mean they based an entire you know animated movie and album around just the name of the song and this the thing my son has a this like kind of dopey picture book that's called um, AB Lightning Bolt CD like ACDC but it's like ABCD and it's like A is for Aerosmith and B is for the Beatles. The Beatles, one that they have, is like a picture of Yellow Submarine. And the song is like Yellow mm-hmm. Submarine. It's just so iconically mm-hmm. them and of a piece of this band that feels, I think like every aspect of the Beatles, there's a thing that feels like, a, what's the word? Like it's all part of it. Like you can't take one part out and it's not them anymore. Like if you take mm-hmm. the Yellow Submarine portion and the psychedelic portion out of their oeuvre of like music it feels i don't know there's like a there's a big hole it's the same way if you remove yeah. like the them in their certs, suits in their early days or you remove their kind of um indian their haircuts. their haircuts or um you know the walking across abbey road like all these weird mm-hmm. things it's like you remove that part of it it's like oh that that would feel wrong and huh. eh, maybe that's just like all four of them in general like you can't you can't remove one piece and be okay with it. And Ringo, bless him. He has, you know, half a dozen songs or a dozen songs and that's good enough. Yeah. I feel like the song he should have sang on the lyrics on Sergeant Pepper should have been, I get by with an ample amount of help from my friends. (laughs) (laughs) An extreme amount of coaching and musical support from my friends. Even Uh, Even with his solo career. No, yeah. I mean, yeah, George. People, he had George writing songs for him, John writing songs for him, Paul coming in to do studio work. Everyone basically has said, I think maybe it was George who said, we worried about Ringo after the Beatles broke up, you know, mm-hmm. more than any of the rest of us. So everyone wanted to kind of chip in to help make sure he was successful. And ironically, he was the one who had the most commercial success solo solo initially. Hmm. His his songs were the ones that were getting number one singles, where everyone else was kind of putting out Ram and yeah, kind of like more phase, like, yeah, yeah, Pop, easy Pop, type stuff, Plastic yeah. Ono, this and yeah, yeah. Do you um is 
what role did Benjamin Orr play in car, the Cars? He was the bassist. He was the bassist. Okay. Uh, so Ringer's our first drummer. I mean, he was he was a funny one, and then Rick Ocasek was a... <laughs> the cute one, the dreamer. The cute one. Yeah. The dreamer. The and what I find fascinating, uh, I saw the Smithereens play live once, and at the end of the second set or whatever, uh, oh no, it's basically second encore. They let the drummer sing a song, <laughs> and it's kind of like um, almost like letting the goalie skate around the rink a little bit <laughs> because yeah. they're the one who does a lot of has a lot of leadership and has a lot of responsibility, yet they're kind of stuck back there and maybe they're figuratively or uh maybe to the band they're really a and a a like not that everybody isn't important but they're really almost like the kind of the, the field marshal ke- keeping everything going along with the bass player uh too so it it is interesting these characters who uh slight into prominence and this we're speaking we're thinking about lot li- i'm thinking about live uh character persons who step forth into prominence when reality is, you know, as a drummer, you're really pretty prominent the whole time. So, uh, so Michael, this, I guess, yeah. So you've got yellow submarine. So what, this was going to be your third, I guess, before we, or do we go to halftime here? Well, I know we get to my second. Richard gets to go to number two. Okay. Okay. You've been doing this for seven years now, Jeff. Come on, Jeffrey. I don't know. I'm off on another planet right now. What planet? Curious. Let's bring, uh, Hey, let's bring the drummer in to host the Mount Rushmore <laughs> podcast. Stumpy. <laughs> All right. You're My second choice, speaking of drummers, okay, would be uh, Don Brewer from Grand Funk Railroad taking oh, his wow. turn on We're an American Band. Wow. A, a song that will let you know exactly who is coming to your town <laughs> and what they're planning to do, which in this case is party down. <laughs> This was written at a time when Grand Funk Railroad was kind of under the thumb of a particularly onerous uh, lawsuit with their former manager who was trying to keep them from actually touring under the name at that point it was Grand Funk. Um, so they were broke and needed a hit. And apparently Don Brewer was drinking one night with the guys from Humble Pie and they got in a friendly argument about whether British rock was better than American rock. And Don Brewer started, stood up and said, hey, we're an American band. That night, went back to his hotel room, thought that's a good starting point for a song. And this dashed out the song about their experiences as an American rock and roll band and all of the, the, you know, the after show parties and groupies and everything that comes along, came along with the, uh, with the, uh, the lifestyle back in the seventies. Hmm. And uh, yeah, he was not the uh, not the full time singer. That was Mark Farner, was the uh, the lead singer. But because Brewer had written it, he got to sing it, and they had a huge hit with it, number one hit. And it kind of saved their careers and kind of launched them into the for a short time stratosphere as one of the big hard rock bands of the early to late early to mid seventies. Produced by Todd Rundgren, yeah, just, just sort of this like. Zilling type guy who just sort of pops up at these weird places in rock and roll history. Yeah. I remember yeah. Re- hearing Rudgard talk about the responsibility to get a hit out of Grand Funk and then saying that they had been, their album sales had been okay, but they wanted to be respectable or they, they wanted to have like rock critic cred, like, you know, like Zeppelin had enjoyed 
somewhat or other other acts had enjoyed somewhat or, or, or credence you know had, right had and enjoyed then they, and then they came out with the biggest dumbest song you could possibly the dumbest song. <laughs> god bless it it's just such a just a chunky yeah big fat riff type song i i'm i'm more of a rock guy than i i know michael is like in terms of like probably like hard rock and this this song this song speaks to me. This is this song is like right in my wheelhouse of seventies <laughs> kind of classic rock. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a that's a lot of fun. She had the whole band, and that's a natural fact. <laughs> they like the, the lyrics are just like, oh god. <laughs> yeah, they, they, these are not lyrics that would would pass the muster in twenty twenty three. This Absolutely is not one of those songs that seems like it was perfect for eight track tape uh, cassette player. It just does a big fat fat bass sound to it i don't remember if this was on the soundtrack to uh dazed and confused but it uh-huh. sure as hell should have been yeah i do know yeah. it was on the soundtrack to the movie jeff you may be familiar with uh spirit of 76 oh yeah the red cross red cross they even yeah. they even name check uh grand funk in the uh in the script <laughs> you don't know mark farner don brewer <laughs> Grand Funk Railroad. <laughs> Doesn't Homer Simpson, if you want to know more about Grand Funk, go to your local library. Like he's trying to educate his kids on, on yes. rock and roll. <laughs> um, okay. Okay. Now we are legit at our halftime. Am I right? Yes. Okay. Yes, we are. Okay. Uh, uh, so, yeah. So um, for whatever this halftime is worth, we still do it. And we still implore you to give us topics and to share our podcast and to enjoy uh, what we do here. But if not, give us feedback into it. You can do that just about on any of the places where it's being hosted. Are we on YouTube, too? We're on yes, YouTube. we are. Yeah. We're on, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I think I told you this, but I, I've learned that YouTube is the second biggest, most popular search engine. <laughs> People look for, want to buy a sweater, they go on YouTube. <laughs> so I'm glad we're there in case they want to buy a Mount Rushmore. Uh, okay, so we're back, and um, Michael, give us your third. Oh my goodness, my third choice is uh, the song "Numb" by U2, uh, with spoken word vocals by The Edge. Oh, wow. oh God! Um, not an incredible song. Obviously, not a well-sung song. It's not even sung at all. It's um, The Edge, just it's... kind of mumbling. Uh, yeah, spoke uh, mumbling. Kind of uh, straightforward, not a lot of intonation in his voice, um, kind of saying a lot of don't, don't, don't think, don't, da, 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 da. And then every once in a while, Bono comes in, he's like, free am I? And all this stuff, can't sing. But um, it's so weirdly iconic as a U2 song, especially of one of like from 1991, um, 1990. Is it off of, uh, is it off of uh, Zuropa or is it off of Octum Baby? Um, I don't know. Probably either one of those. I will uh, look which that up. I'm, okay. I'm, I would say that probably Octum Baby came first and then Zuropa came later, but it feels more Zuropa. It's off of Zuropa. Um, but it's just one of those weird songs. That, like at some point they decided that this was going to become like a single as well like usually they save this stuff for like a b-side or you save it for just like oh what's it it's just a weird song that you happen to like and then somehow it was like oh no this was played all over the place on like mtv 
and um, it probably helped that the video was um, pretty graphically straightforward with just like um, the edge sitting there as people come in and out of the screen and start licking his face and start barking apparently like my dog does and people kind of um, just doing weird things to him as he is like you know physically numb to everything around him um, you know but uh, I don't know I just think that like where you two can be a pretty emotive uh band with pretty mm, i don't know if you say call them heavy lyrics but they're very like i i think that um that bono is uh a very emotional person and so like for the edge who is like you know the what is he is he the bass player is he a guitar player yeah he's a guitar player guitar player yeah um i don't i was trying to think if there's any sort of connection to the background people being the background singers being bassists and drummers as if that was like, I don't know, a connective tissue through all this, but um, for, uh, you know, a band that usually sings about mm, kind of heavy things and emotional things and weighty things to this guy just sitting there kind of mumbling through it all. And a sing a song that got anybody can karaoke. I mean, talk about a song. If you want to get up and karaoke, don't worry about it. You got it. Anybody. <laughs> anybody's got it but um i don't know it's just an interesting thing for them to highlight as a single and to highlight as a performance i think is quite interesting well zuropa was a weird album because i was like it was like i think sort of based off of everything they went through in the zoo tv tour and this idea of media overload and satur oversaturation and so it was meant to be an album that kind of like overstimulated you with all of these like sounds and stuff happening kind of off in the background and you know the whole idea of being numb kind of being numb and desensitized to everything that's happening around you is kind of central to that album so i could see from that standpoint why they would choose that single as representative at the same time it's a really weird fucking song yeah, huh. yeah. of all the songs that we've chosen you've chosen have any of them been backed by uh, unrest within the group? Like, oh, let me sing, or else that you know of, or so far? No, I don't think so. I think, I think, I think so far. I mean, everyone wanted Ringo to have a song, the kind of you know, Benjamin or uh, Rick Ocasek split was pretty, you know, standard in the band. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I don't I, think so. I think of uh, Ringo. Was it his first album effort? Was Boys? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> okay, let's sing this. Let's sing this song that a girl group would sing, and just not change the lyrics. Uh, okay, uh, then Richard, what is your third? Yeah, my third choice is the song "Tempted" by Squeeze. Oh, I knew you were gonna pull that. That's I've just been been remastered those songs. So yeah, East Side Story. East Side Story, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So sung. Not by uh, Glenn Tilbrook, the normal singer of uh, guitarist and lead singer of Squeeze, but by Paul Carrick, who is the ultimate rock journeyman. Mm -hmm. He's just somebody who's just been around, man. He was in a British pub rock, rock band called Ace, who had a pretty big hit on both sides of the pond with a song called How Long. How long mm -hmm. has this been going on? That one. Um, was later the keyboard player for Roxy Music for a while after Brian Eno left. 
Um, and then was kind of after Jules Holland left Squeeze, he came in for East Side Story to be the piano player and, and keyboard player. And they had written the song, uh, uh, Chris Difford and Glenn Tilbrook, the songwriters for Squeeze, had written this song, Tempted. And they actually recorded a version of it with uh, Tilbrook singing the lead. But according to them, it was just kind of like faster paced. It sounded a little bit like ELO. But they thought, okay, we're done with it. Put it away. Well, one day they were kind of just messing around with the song and they kind of slowed it down like half tempo and gave it a sort of a, a blues rock kind of workout. And Elvis Costello, who was recording, was producing the album, came out and said, that's great. We need to go with that. And Paul needs to be the one who sings it. And oh. Paul Garrett's like, oh, okay, yeah, I can do that. And Glenn Tilbrook said he was a, a little offended with that at first. So maybe this is our first minor bit of, of nose mm-hmm. being put out of joint with this. But after they got the track down, he said he fell in love with it and realized that you know, Paul Carrick was the perfect person to sing this song. And because he's got that kind of like white white blues rock voice. Yeah. Like that just worked perfectly for this song. And it became not it's funny, it didn't become like a huge hit even in the squeeze compared to other squeeze songs, but it just had a ton of staying power. It's just one of those songs that over the years has just become sort of a an alternative rock from the 80s kind of staple Mm -hmm. even though it wasn't necessarily a big hit in its time and paul carrick was only with squeeze for that one album he left after east side story and went on to have a couple of solo hits here in the u.s and also uh sang with mike and the mechanics so just a really fascinating guy just somebody who's just has had a lot of success, but not somebody that you look at and go, oh, yeah, rock superstar Paul Carrick. Yeah. Just a it's guy. No, Boy, Mike and the Mechanics is such a great name for a band that I wish <laughs> I knew anything about. I feel like like they at some point could have had such a bigger career, but... but well, no. they were just a side project. I mean, yeah. you know, Mike... Mike Rutherford from Genesis had you know, wanted had some songs he wanted to get out there, and when you've got Phil Collins sucking the air out of the room in every opportunity, <laughs> I can imagine it's difficult to get your songs mm-hmm. when he's when he's coming up with the studio. How do you compete with that? <laughs> I you know I don't know if it was in the Elvis Costello book or there's something said that Difford and Tilbrook both took a crack at it. Um, oh, did they? Yeah, and no, I mean, you're more authoritative, uh, but I just remember hearing that. I think, no, I think I think Elvis Costello is more authoritative than me. Well, I, I don't know if it's that book or not, but you know what what remains in that song is little cameos from all of them because I think there's a there's like you had pointed out, I think on another podcast, uh, "Need to Keep on Riding" is Elvis Costello. That's Elvis Costello, and then the Tilbrook has like a, a line or two in there. Yeah, yeah. So it's a kind of there can they kind of all chime in on on that track, and I think that's that's a lot of fun. You know what's funny though? I think of the UK. Um, you know, we we experience rock groups as this kind of like, um, well, like the Mount Rushmore, these kind of four heads that are kind of bound in stone. But I know musicians; they're playing in different bands, playing with different groups. <laughs> they they buy right. songs off different people. They're listening to it in a demo. You know, it's kind of a more fluid thing. 
on their side of it very frequently. Like a, a band is in a way, it's just kind of like something that almost like the record label mandates. Well, this is what <laughs> these are the people are getting paid for this thing. Um, yeah. So I, I think that's, that's a real, that's a great choice. Cause that's such a soulful, such great, like kind of blue eyed soul. Yeah, blue eyed soul sort of song. Yeah. And I could have with squeeze had chosen Chris Difford or cool for cats. I actually debated that one. and went back and mm-hmm. forth on which one made more sense. But I think overall, just the, just, just this odd, you know, guy coming in for one album, literally singing one song. And it might be the song squeezes squeeze is most well known for. Yeah. Just a weird just, thing. <laughs> Does it seem like somebody like you pull up, you know, to the playground on your new bike and somebody else grabs it and starts popping wheelies with it. And it's like, yeah. come on, man. <laughs> you jerk. Uh, Winfield, what's your final, final choice? Uh, my final choice is the song Step Into My Office, Baby by the band okay. Bell and Sebastian as sung by um, their guitarist, Stevie Jackson. Um, <clears throat> Bell and Sebastian is kind of this um, college pet project of um, Stuart Murdoch. Um, out of um, Scotland, who um, they're kind of this very indie, twee sort of band. And the majority of the lyrics, the majority of the songs, the majority of music, everything is written by Stuart, um, uh, Stuart Murdoch. And they're usually very heartfelt and very writerly and very, um, oh, I don't know, very religious and very much about his... Um, I don't know, his own personal stuff. But then um, in 2003, they put out a band or put out an album called um, Dear Catastrophe Waitress. And this one song really stood out amongst a lot of the stuff, a lot of what was on the album. And it was called Step Into My Office, Baby. And it was very um, playful. And a lot, it's like the, the lyrics are very built on all these Uh, puns about um, somebody working in an office and staying late for work and getting ahead by sleeping with a boss and very, a lot of sexual innuendo and fun and kind of silly and very different than anything else that I can ever recall um, that uh, Bell and Sebastian had put out before. All their stuff seems to be built on like this kind of um, uh, uh, prose and uh, kind of um, schoolboy uh, angst and religious uh, 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 life growing up and all these things and there's just this silly little song about, about sleeping with your boss yeah. to get ahead and um, it wasn't like the first song that he had had his, uh, his vocals on that he had sung on um, but it was the one that really stood out to me as like oh th- uh, this is it's not the lead singer, but it's very, it's different. It's fun. And it adds just a new dimension to this band that doesn't feel like it's just the lead singer or doesn't feel like it's um, uh, one of the other. They, they've had a couple of um, uh, female kind of uh, take the leads on songs. Um, Isabel Campbell, who left after about a decade in the band. And, um, oh, I can't remember the name of the, the, the other girl. Sarah Martin, I think is her name. Is it Bell? Um, it's it, it's not you know what's always confusing is um they took the name bell and sebastian from some book that was later a cartoon that uh, uh like a, a child's book or a child's cartoon 
and um one of the people in the band like the girl in the band was isabel campbell and it has nothing to do with anything it's just it was just the name coincidence yeah coincidence purely but um i don't know he uh comes in um and he sings all these really like just a lot of the fun songs are like all the stuff by stevie jackson and it's just like i i love when there is just like uh one of the band members that just adds a different spin it's you know it's the ringo effect it's that they're part of the band they've always feel like they've been part of the band and then there's just a dimension this band that's just different because of what they're singing or how they're singing and yeah it's uh it's great oh go ahead jeff no lay it on me man Oh, I was going to say, Bell and Sebastian were one of those bands that I always like read about in the Tower Records Pulse magazine. You guys remember this? This was the magazine yeah. that came out every month at Tower Records, like the freebie. And I just, it felt like the type of band I should get into, but they never played them on 120 minutes or very rarely did. Yeah. And for whatever reason, I got the impression that they were a very dour kind of Morrissey ass type band. And then I go back and now I listen to them. I'm like, why didn't I like them more when they came out? There's certainly a band that I feel like I missed out on when they were making records. Well, they have a new record coming out in 2023 and had one that came out in 2022. So you can still get caught up. I mean, it's wild. He's, you know, um, in his mid to late fifties now, the lead singer, which is just like, that's weird. And, um, we've seen them in concert a bunch of times and they're, they're a great, it's funny because there are some bands that are like that, that are, um, that are almost these weird, like conglomerative sort of bands, like that have anywhere from five to eight members. I don't know. You know, you think of like this weird, like thing that the Beatles kind of established or helped to establish where there was, Oh, you got the drummer and the guitar player and the other guitar player and the bass player. They probably didn't even establish it. It was probably established long before, but that kind of became like, oh, well, if you're going to have a band, you need these four. And then you can uh, put, throw somebody on a keyboard. You got a fifth person. But like, you know, they're like sometimes like an arcade fire type band where there's like eight people in it. And they're like, what are you guys doing? Yeah, it was a college. Yeah, a college. How many people do you need? Do you need a violinist? Oh, I guess we got a cellist <laughs> in the band now. Okay. Was that his? They they only play the Glockenspiel, yeah. All right, yeah. All right, let's get them. Like let's, get, let's get them on the microphone. Let's get them singing about something. Okay. But the only thing yeah. I really knew about Bell and Sebastian was Piazza, my New York catcher. <laughs> the sports, all only their sports related. <laughs> yeah, that's that, that was the only thing I really knew about them. Hey, a great thing to do, and this is something I like to do every year with like one band or a couple bands. Um, I always have a new year's resolution to like uh, start with the first album and just listen to everything. Like just put them on through like Spotify or put them on through like Apple music. Just listen to a full discography of like just a whole band and see where they started and see how they, where they got to. Um, Even if it's like, man, I'm going to do it again with like the cure and like, I'm dreading getting to like the end of the last (laughs) couple of cure albums. And it's just like, Oh, I'm going to do it. I'm going to start with a, three imaginary boys and get to whatever the last one they put out 15 years ago. Yeah. They've got an album out this Friday. Bell and Sebastian. Yeah. <laughs> Nutty. Uh, okay. 
yeah, it does seem like, yeah, one, one singer and then 10 vibe merchants who are there with the <laughs> rhythm egg <laughs> tambourine. Um, okay, Manfredi, the final choice. So when uh, Oasis were recording What's the Story, Morning Glory, uh, Liam Gallagher, the lead, uh, the lead songwriter and guitar player, went to his brother Noel, a man who he famously once referred to as a fork in a world full of soup, and gave him the choice of two <laughs> songs. Uh, one of them he could sing, and the other one Liam would sing, would be like his song to sing on the album. Um, Noel Gallagher chose Wonderwall, which in hindsight, good choice. Yeah. The other choice wasn't too shabby either, and that's my last choice, which is Don't Look Back in Anger. Oh, God, yeah. Just just as as Beatles-y of a yeah. song as you could possibly have. Yeah. Um, a One of those things where you hear him do the song, and you're like, he, is he actually a better singer than Noel Gallagher? Mm. I think he might be. Mm. But... Noel had the star quality, which is why it made sense that he was the lead singer of the band. Just kind of had that sort of like it factor, I guess. And I just remember Liam, when I think of Liam Gallagher singing, I remember their, uh, them performing their, their uh, MTV Unplugged special. And Noel Gallagher claimed to have his throat, his voice had gone out. So he couldn't sing. So Liam Gallagher had to sing all the songs instead of him. And Noel Gallagher hung out in the rafters, getting pissed drunk on beer and shouting, heckling Liam the whole time. (laughs) Pretty much the most Oasis thing that could possibly happen. (laughs) But just a a great song that I have no idea what it's about. And I've sung the song at karaoke several dozen times in my life at this point. Still don't know really what it's about, but it feels like it's about something, man. Yeah. You know? Know what I mean, man? It's funny because, yeah, the, with the title and the the lyrics, it's the sound is beatles The don't look back is Bob dylan and back in anger is like Brit, angry young man, you know, 60s. Movie, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Boy, what a good... What a good choice. Was it Wonderwall? What, what was the one that was chosen to be like the song that represented Britain or something like that? Like one of, I think it was an Oasis. I think it was song. Wonderwall. Yeah. Wonderwall. Yeah. That's really interesting. Cause like now that's a band in which definitely the singer has an antagonistic relationship with the person that they're kind of eclipsing momentarily. Yeah. Um, and who they have to rely on to be able to, give him the words and lyrics that he's going, the music and lyrics that he's going to sing. Yeah. I mean, you know, let's, let's be honest with both of them. Neither of their solo careers or other bands, BDIs, high flying birds, whatever it happens to be, has kept come anywhere near as close to what they've done together in Oasis. And it's just, it's just, it is, it is very sad that they personally just could not get their shit together and continue to make really amazing music. Mm-hmm. Same with them as like the Blasters were kind of like that, right? It's kind of like yeah, those Dalvin Brothers just kind of couldn't get it. <laughs> Bands they just couldn't get it. Didn't the the I think uh, the Kinks uh, are another one. The Kinks didn't they go on tour with the Black Crows? And I think those guys don't get along too well. Either. 
either. No, they don't either. Or they didn't yeah. for a long time. They're back together. Or that's a nice, a, it's a nice little mini, a nice yeah. little mini rat rushor of um, yeah, Hanson yeah. brothers yeah. hate each other. Yeah, brothers hate each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, yeah um, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart and Larry Mozart, like they were just like oh. at each other's throats the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, let's pick some. That was that's just guys. Thank you so much because I knew I knew you you would um, make a meal out of this, and you sure did. We'll go with Ringo and yell some rain because come on, um, it's Ringo, and okay, I didn't know. I do, I do, about... I do like, I do like this. I Richard, I love when Jeff uses a come on. I would love Jeff sure. as like an actual as an actual judge just in the courtroom, just like with a hammer <laughs> coming down like. He's guilty. What you know, Your Honor? Come on, you just come, come on. on. And then the everyone looks, look everyone looks around in the in the courtroom. They're all nodding. Right? The mumbling. Right? He's right. Yeah. He's, he's right. Isn't that a Joe? That's a Joe Bidenism. Is that come on? Come on. Come on. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> okay, Ringo. Because come on. Um, well, let's do uh, Benjamin Orr because I didn't realize. Um, and then squeeze tempted because it's such a great song and then okay we're going to look back in anger because double come on <laughs> the, the rare double, double come on the rare, the rare double come on that is like this is like when uh, something gets like uh uh appeal to the next uh court <laughs> right yeah. the double court, come on. supreme, supreme double court come comes on. down with a double come on yeah by a five to four ruling that's a john mellencamp come on come on come on come on come on all right, dudes, this has been the Mount Rushmore of songs sung by the non-dominant singer. Um, we didn't pick Polyphonic Spree. Hmm. No, we didn't. <laughs> well, yet again, <laughs> yet for again. the 348th episode or whatever we're on, we did not we, pick Polyphonic We are the non-Polyphonic Spree podcast of record. <laughs> what are they doing? Uh, this is Jeff. This is Richard. I'm Michael. Oh my god, Larry, finally! <laughs> <laughs>